0: So we've been talking about uh, transformation. We've been talking about uh, dwelling in the sukkah uh, and about recognizing that in the sukkah we remember the frailty of life. Uh, we remember uh, the uh, you, you know the, uh, the the fact that the sukkah is not a permanent structure, and neither is this world, and neither is our bodies, and. And everything else, Um, you know. On uh, Sukkot morning, I I, I talked about uh, Sukkot and the frailty of life in terms of aging well. That was an interesting message and uh, something a little bit different. Uh, And uh, on uh, on Monday night, uh, we we talked about you know the big picture of. Of of why we read Ecclesiastes and looking at when you look at life under the sun, you see just how you know void it is and uh, meaningless in, in a sense. You live, you die. Seemingly random things uh, uh, happen, uh, and uh, and that can really be kind of uh, depressing. And you wonder what's it all about. And of course, his point is is that we need to be above the sun, you know, uh, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, uh, and know who we are in Messiah, and, and recognize that uh, life is not just horizontal, even though we tend to uh, live that way. Uh, and we talked about uh, the fact that, you know, uh, what is real is uh, unseen, uh, and we need to focus on the eternal and not the, uh, the temporal, all those kinds of things. And about how we are to be strong in the Lord and how we're to walk, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, in God's strength, recognizing the frailty of life. And that's where the joy comes. The joy is knowing that God, you know, that we're in his presence and and all of that. So I thought today uh, on uh, this Shabbat, we would um, uh, talk about or answer the question a little bit about you know, when we talk about being strong in the Lord, about what that means, what does it mean to be strong in the Lord? You know, I uh, you know sometimes I think we get the idea that it's sort of like uh, spiritual machismo, right? Uh, like uh, spirit, being a spiritual he-man, uh, or uh, that it is um, a spiritual pick yourself up by the bootstraps kind of thing. But pray first. Uh, you, you know, uh, and the fact of the matter is, I, I, when you read the scriptures, there's so many paradoxes in the scriptures, and this is a huge one. Because if we really, uh, look at, uh, uh, the passages and, and what it means, we see that, um, I, really to be strong and to be in the presence of God is to recognize and to embrace I, our weaknesses, I, our deficiencies, right? I, I, our, for example, uh, our human suffering, uh, our sinfulness, I, and then in a certain respect, I weakness uh, spiritually in the sense of uh, of uh, feeling uh, having a guilty conscience when we're actually forgiven. And there are passages that describe uh, all of these all of these things. Uh, certainly in, uh, 2nd Corinthians chapter 11, chapter 11, that's where Paul talks about lots of things that have happened to him. And he talks about boasting in his weakness. You know, uh, so in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11, he says, uh, he says this. I'll just start in verse 18. Why not? Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. "'For you, being so wise, bear with the foolish gladly,' he said sarcastically. "'For you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts you, if he hits you in the face. To my shame I must say that we have been weak by comparison. But in whatever respect anyone else is bold,' I speak in foolishness, "'I am just as bold myself.' are they hebrews so am i are they israelites so am i are they descendants of abraham so am i uh, are are they servants of messiah i speak as if insane i much uh, i more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments beaten times without number often in danger of death five times i received from the jews 39 lashes three times i was beaten with rods once i was stoned three times i was shipwrecked A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, danger, danger, Will Robinson, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure boy evidently god is not blessing him he must have done something wrong right okay just saying apart from such external things there is the daily pressure upon me of my concern for all the congregations that last part is really fascinating because it just you know he was uh, experiencing like anxiety and concern and and uh, heaviness about the welfare you know, of, uh, of those congregations. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast about what pertains to my weakness. Right? I, and I'll stop there for a second. So, I, uh, you know, this is really very interesting. I guess if you go over to chapter 12, without reading the whole thing here, uh, he talks about a, uh, um, something that is ailing him, something that's ailing him, okay? Uh, and he understands it as keeping him humble, <laughs> okay? And he says, "Concern in verse 8, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Evidently, God wasn't listening to him, right? No, wait a minute. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Messiah may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. Difficulties, that's sort of just, that's the umbrella term, you know? For Messiah's sake, when I am weak, then I am strong. That flies in the face of the way that we understand almost everything. In other words, when we think about being strong in the Lord, we are strong, we're strong you know, we don't think in terms of, well, I'm so weak that I'm that I that I must rely on God. You know, and boast in my weaknesses. That is something that we would never uh, you know, uh, think much uh much about. But the fact of the matter is is that when we recognize deficiency in our own lives, that is the time, That is where we uh, can really rejoice in the Lord. We looked uh, in this very same letter. Now, why this letter is important and why I would encourage you to go home and read it more than once. This is the most personal letter that Paul writes. It's the most personal letter that he writes. And he writes it toward the end of his life. And he is, uh, he recognizes, he recognizes something. That's why it's in 2 Corinthians, it's in chapter 4 where where he says, you know, we're pushed down but not destroyed and so on. And here in chapter 11, he gives this whole list of, of difficulties. He doesn't do that in his other letters. He really doesn't. But he does it here. Because he's coming to terms with his mortality. And all, and all of that. Well, we talked about that on, on a Tuesday morning, coming to terms with th- those kinds of things. But uh, he does, uh, in this uh, letter in chapter 5, uh, here, er, I mean, at the end of chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he says, We don't lose heart, regardless of all the difficulties, we don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, or all the time. Why? For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. That's a fascinating verse, because he says the, the difficulty is doing something. The difficulty is producing an eternal weight of glory. So when we recognize our own deficiencies, they work in us to produce inwardly perseverance and strength in the Lord. And how important it is for us to to understand that. Because all of this is part of spiritual transformation. This is all the, you know, I think I said this the other day, is that you know, when the pot is stirring, God is doing the cooking. You know, very important uh, uh, to, uh, to to remember. Uh, not just, it's too hot, I don't like it, why is this happening? That's what our ancestors did in the wilderness. Complain, complain, complain. And what, what we read later on in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God was disciplining them. He wanted. He was t- mentoring them. He was teaching them to trust in Him, right? Uh, and uh, and that is what He is doing uh, in us. Now it is interesting uh, 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 to think about spiritual growth that way. Uh, you know, to to understand who I really am. That's how I know. Uh, in a way that I'm walking with God. Think about Isaiah. Remember we mentioned him and I. when uh, Isaiah was in the presence of God, I think on Yom Kippur we mentioned Isaiah. Uh, when Isaiah is in the presence of God in the sixth chapter, he recognizes his deficiency. He recognizes his weakness right away. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. In the presence of God, I, we recognize our weaknesses. When we deny them, or we just simply, uh, throw in the towel and enjoy them and say, this is great, you know, kind of thing. I, uh, we, we're, in a sense, denying the power of God. I, uh, and Sukkot is all about, again, living in the sukkah, living in the presence of God. And, uh, in every single case, uh, you know, like Paul here, when he talks about his, his weaknesses, he's, he is framing them as being as in the presence of God. That's why he is able to boast in his weaknesses because of the power of God working in him. It's not about him, you know, it, it's about God. And so uh, the result of this is transformation, this issue of becoming something different, trans- being transformed, right? Becoming something different. So, you know, there are several passages in the New covenant that talk about transformation and really living this way, living in the presence of God and having victory. I uh, you know in my in my weaknesses I can boast because uh, power is perfected. The power of God is perf- in my life is perfected in weakness. That's where I find forgiveness. That's where I find a healing. It's it's where I find meaning. It's where I you know uh, I. Uh, uh, I find a uh, joy and peace and patience, right? Uh, not that I can manufacture it myself in what I do and in my accomplishments and in my career and you know and uh, or just working harder and I'll be joyful. You know what I mean? Or accomplishing more and I'll be joyful. No, I, those are all fruit of uh, you know of the of the power of of God. But we read, uh, for example. You know, in um, uh, Philippians chapter 3, for example, there's three places that are interesting in this issue of being, becoming something different, right? In uh, Philippians 3, 20 and 21, it says, For citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Messiah Yeshua, who will transform the body of this humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exercise of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So here he's saying to the the believers at Philippi, this is what we have to look forward to. This is a transformation that will come, you know, uh, via the resurrection and the new heaven and new earth and so on and so forth. But... In that very same letter, that, that letter of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 3, <coughs> he says this about transformation. Toward the end of the chapter, in verse 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Now, this is part of a, of a long chapter, uh, and basically, uh, what he is, uh, doing is, uh, uh, Paul is comparing not, uh, so much, uh, Moses, uh, and Yeshua, uh, or law and grace, or old covenant and new covenant, or anything like that, but he is, He is demonstrating that uh, in Messiah now, we stand in the glory of God and that even in actually at the very end of Exodus 34, when Moses goes up the second time to get the Ten Commandments, when he comes down, he has to have a veil. You can read it on your own. He has to have a veil over his face because the people could not stand to see that his face was shining. Because the glory of God would kill him, right? Uh, Only Moses was able to stand in the very presence of God. That's why at the beginning of uh, Leviticus, uh, it's called Vayikra, and he called. God called Moses to come into the tent of meeting. Only Moses could go in. Only Moses could be in that presence of God. Uh, and, uh, and what it says is that when he would leave the veil, he would have a veil over his face. Herein, if you read chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians carefully, it says that the, the shining f- was fading, was fading. All it says in Exodus is that there was a veil over his face. Uh, the, the point being is that the glory was not seen. Uh, the glory was, in a sense, not effective In being transferred from Moses to the people, that's really what the word means. Uh, And but now in Messiah, in we can we stand in His presence, uh, and we are experiencing transformation. Uh, This kind of transformation that could not come uh, without the atoning death and resurrection uh, of the Messiah and the indwelling. Uh, Ruach Hakodesh. We are being changed. We are being uh, 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 transformed, right? When we avail ourselves of the power of God in Messiah, and uh, you know, when we're we're living uh, in uh, in His presence, we drink the living water that only He can supply. Uh, we drink the waters of uh, healing of our hearts. Uh, we drink uh, the waters of, trans, of of transformation. Now it's interesting that uh, 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 we read in Romans chapter 12 also about transformation. There it says, don't be, you know, this verse this is the most famous one of these three verses. In Romans chapter 12 and verse two, it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is—that which is good and acceptable uh, and uh, uh, perfect." So, when we're talking about uh, transformation, it means, among other things, thinking differently. Okay, uh, viewing the world differently, uh, viewing uh, the myself. My relationships, what's going on in the world, having a particular world view, we could say, uh, it has a lot to do with being transformed. Being transformed looks like being satisfied in Messiah. It means having a cleansed conscience, having an attitude of thanksgiving, uh, having a different uh, uh, world view, being deferential to others. Uh, engaging in the idea of mutual blessing, one to another, uh, dying to self—all those things—is uh, what transformation uh, looks like. Uh, it means uh, not letting, getting anything, in the, not getting, in the, letting anything get in the way of my devotion to God, my fellowship, service to Him. All those, all those things. It means dwelling in. This is all the ramifications of living in the sukkah all the time, having a lifestyle of sukkot living, a dwelling in the Lord. That's why you know that passage in Psalm 27 is so powerful, right? When we read, "This one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life." When we dwell in the house of the Lord we experience a level of transformation. Think about Asaph, Psalm 73. He basically is looking around, uh, and uh, he's saying, you know, it's not fair. Basically, life is not fair, is what the first 10 verses of Psalm 73 are basically saying. Like, verse 1 says, you know, when when I went to religious school, I learned that God blesses those that love him. But then I looked around me and I saw, well, that's not true. That's not happening. Everything I learned, uh, you know, uh, were they selling me a bill of goods? Uh, you know, uh, and all that. And then, he, then he says, he gets so low. He says, I can't even believe I'm talking this way. Until, and you know it, right? Until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then it says, I perceived their end when I entered the sanctuary of God. I began. I, I was. T- I was transformed. When you read the second half of Psalm 73, it's way different than the first half of Psalm 73. He's praising God. He's understanding uh, you know, uh, what, what's happening. His devotion is to God despite uh, the, uh, the circumstances. You know, Another great one is Habakkuk. Very similar, very, very similar to Asaph. The first half of the book of Habakkuk is, How long, O oh Lord? I am a victim here. Why why are you allowing me to see evil? Why are you letting this happen to me? Right? Uh, And then he has this big argument with God because God says, I'm going to do something that you're not going to believe. I'm actually going to take the worst enemy you can think of, right? And they will serve as the rod of my anger. Okay? And, And of course... Uh, Habakkuk says, whoa, this is not what I learned uh, in Hebrew school, right? Whoa, doggies, uh, this is not right. And so he has this big argument with God. And then he laments and he says, I'm going to hang on for dear life because he's going to reprove me. I know I stepped over the line of what I was saying. That's what he says at the beginning of chapter 2. And then he says God gave him a vision, right? Uh, and then he uh, he doesn't exactly tell us the, the entire vision, but, uh, he describes, uh, a judgment of the enemies. And then at the end, you know, there's a famous line there. My feet are like Heinz feet in high places. My feet are like in a preca- on a precarious perch, but I'm secure. I don't know where that's coming from, but okay. I, um, you know, uh, my feet are, uh, are, are on a perch that could fall off. Kind of like, you know, when you read, like you see in like good like cartoons, you know. Like there's the cliff, right? You know, and I don't know if it's Road Runner or whoever. He's sitting at the, you know, at the very edge, right? But but uh, secure. Then he takes off, right? You know that. Uh, uh, so Habakkuk now is secure, in the, the the situation has not changed. In uh, Psalm seventy three, the situation has not changed, but Habakkuk's in a different place. Asaph's in a different place. In the presence of God, the question for us: What place are we in? You know, we use that terminology. Don't you know, I'm not in a good place. I'm in a better place, right? The place to be is in the presence of God, dwelling in the sukkah, recognizing that the only strength I have is from Him, because this thing could fall down any second, right? But the strength I have is from Him. That is what brings this uh, transformation. So the question becomes, where am I, where am I living? Well, you know, there's another, uh, a characteristic of, um, of dwelling in the presence of God. Another characteristic of what it means to be transformed. And, uh, uh this has to do with, uh, dealing with the, again, uh, the circumstances around me because, that seems to be a real theme of, of Sukkot. Think about it. It's about the wilderness wanderings, right? And, and the children of Israel living in these temporary shelters in the wilderness wanderings. Uh, again, temporary shelters because this was not their destination. It was not their destiny. Uh, but they, they dealt with the circumstances while they were, while they were in it. And again, we learned that what God wanted them to do was to learn to trust in Him. Not continuously complain and blame Moses, you know, uh, uh, for uh, their discontent, uh, uh, rather being under the, uh, rather being under Pharaoh than under Moses. This is what the people were thinking, right? Because they did not like discontent. They did not like to be in, in an uncomfortable place. I uh, and so there is another uh another characteristic and that is something that we uh, uh talk about sometimes and that is the idea of of enduring enduring circumstances that are out of my control and recognizing uh, that God is at work in the bigger picture and that and that uh my calling is to persevere and that is the characteristic of meekness. Meekness, right? Uh, Meekness is a very interesting word. It's often translated gentle or humble. But what it really, uh, what meekness really is, is having uh, the strength, the spiritual trust of God to, to live in uncomfortable circumstances, recognizing Indeed, that God is at work. I just want to read a little bit of Sam Meyer's article uh, uh, that he wrote in the um, Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. You know, I was going to print it out, but then I thought I don't want to get yelled at for like doing something illegal. Okay. so I, um, um, But I guess I could send it to you electronically. I don't know. I don't know what that... You know, some things are above my pay grade, okay? All right, so um, what he says here, he says there's two essential components to this quality. A conflict in which an individual is unable to control or influence circumstances. Okay, have you ever been in a conflict like that? Right? A conflict in which an individual is unable to control or influence. In other words, there's nothing I can do about this thing, all right? What does that usually lead to? It leads to frustration. It leads to getting angry or finding someone to blame or incessantly complaining about it, right? Or even being bitter, you know, and and uh, that that kind of thing. But, as he says here, but the one who is guided by God's Spirit accepts God's ability to direct events. In other words, whether we like it or not, or we can exp- or it fits into our systematic theology or not, you know, the secret things belong to God. And so nothing is outside of his arm. There is nothing, there is nothing that is like God can't reach, you know? You know, uh, 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 J.B. Phillips, was it? Phillips wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. Well, I don't know if he was talking about God being too small this way, but God is bigger than Everything. And so that means that while we, you know, we live in a world of rebellion, we live in a world of spiritual rebellion, right? God is the king over all the earth, whether the whole earth recognizes him or not, okay? I think I said this recently, he's not just the king of Beth Messiah, you you, you know? He's the king over all the earth. And so when people don't recognize his kingship, people are in rebellion. And everything you see out there in the world that that we... Everything. This is what this is what rebellion looks like, okay? Uh, And uh, and and so therefore, uh, it doesn't mean that God said, "I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make this particular thing happen to this particular person today." But what it does mean is that, as a wise person once said to me, God doesn't waste any experience, right? God doesn't waste any experience. Every single thing that happens in our lives, God takes and uses. If we're living in the right place. If we're living in the sukkah of God. If we're not, then it's just, just give me the tailpipe now. You know, what's the point? Right? Well, in Messiah, there is a point. Because God is involved in every single circumstance of our lives, whether we realize it or not. Meekness is therefore an active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen by the individual as only part of a larger picture. But then recognize that outwardly, then you can't tell all the time whether it is the, you know, the, the power of God living in us or just resignation. You know, you can't always tell on the outside, but we know it on the inside, right? So he says here, meekness is not resignation to fate, a passive and reluctant submission to events, for there is little virtue in that kind of response. Nevertheless, since the two responses, resignation and meekness, are exter- externally often indistinguishable, it is easy to see how how what was once perceived as a virtue in our world is viewed as weakness. Like meekness is weakness in our world, but not in the ancient world. In the ancient world, the king would call himself meek, you know, uh, but not not in our world, right? The patient and hopeful endurance of undesirable circumstances identifies a person as externally vulnerable but weak, but inwardly resilient and strong. Meekness does not identify the weak, but more precisely the strong, who've been placed in a, a difficult position where you persevere without giving up. He, he says it's kind of like, the, like, an, like a wild animal that's tame. It's still a wild animal, but lives within a particular framework, you know, and doesn't go off i uh, doesn't uh, just uh, uh, doesn't pr- just go out and and do something to you know to demand doesn't make uh, you know demands and and I must have it this way and I uh, you you know and um uh, uh and bring uh, uh division and disunity and things of that nature that is the opposite of meek responding to these kinds of things I uh, you know as a person who is Meek is a very strong person who's living in, indeed, in the presence uh, of uh, of God, uh, and so uh, you know, very important to uh, you know to understand that that uh, enduring faith, and it's described in lots of uh, passages. You know, in uh, the book of um, uh, in Romans, chapter five. I'm just going to read that one. Uh, It doesn't use the word meek, but it describes it, okay? Uh, In uh, Romans chapter uh, 5, it says, um, we stand in his grace. That's very important. We stand uh, uh, in his grace. That's in chapter 5 of Romans in verse 2. Okay, by standing in his grace, in his presence, dwelling in his sukkah, we also exult in our tribulations knowing. See, knowing is very important here. Having a worldview, having a, a, a transformed way of seeing things that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And hope will not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Ruach, through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And it is, of course, interesting when you think about the word meek. You think about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's very interesting that uh, you know it doesn't say here when in the in the Beatitudes, I, I, it doesn't say in verse five, "Blessed are the meek in spirit," as if to say, like weak. We have poor in spirit, recognizing one's deficiencies is where where blessing and relationship with God come. But in verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land or inherit the earth. It's just not qualified. That is a characteristic that God desires that we ought to have. Yeshua is called meek. Yeshua is called meek. He was very powerful. He could have destroyed his enemies in a, in a blink of an eye. Right? Uh, he did not have to suffer. He did not have to die. But he accepted the circumstances, as a human being, horizontally, he accepted the circumstances that he was in for a good that could come no other way. If only we lived in God's presence in that way and really saw him as involved in every single thing that uh, that that happens. What a testimony it would be. It would be a testimony of maintaining the unity of the spirit. It would be a testimony of differ, of being deferential. It would be a testimony uh, of um, you know of the unity that can only come uh, in Messiah Yeshua. You know, again in that Romans uh, passage uh, in chapter twelve, right after it talks about this transformation, it comes by the renewing of the mind. We read about how we all have gifts that differ, you know, and we minister to one another in varieties of ways. We're not lone rangers having to belong, having belong, just belonging to the same organization. Okay? It says, uh, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. Devout in prayer, bless those who persecute you. I uh, bless and curse not. I uh, rejoice. I uh, you know with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We we belong to. Uh, one another. Uh, Back uh, earlier on in the chapter it actually says, for we who are many are one body and the members, it says just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function so we who are many are one body, individually members of one another which means we cannot live without each other in Messiah Yeshua. When we're living in God's sukkah and we recognize our deficiencies and our weaknesses and rely on his strength, we become empowered to endure and to be transformed in our character into the way that we engage one another. And the way it's supposed to work is that we are the light of the world. We are the ones who are not rebelling. And when we're not rebelling and when we're serving the Lord, we're supposed to be different from everybody else. That's our challenge, really, on Sukkot, is to live that way. You know, Peter said, uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Messiah, keep on rejoicing, so that the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. For if you are reviled for the name of Messiah, you are blessed, because the uh, spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But by no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a believer in Yeshua... Let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be our outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he talks about difficulty and so on and so forth. But at the end of the chapter, he says, Therefore, let those who also suffer according to the will of God and trust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. And so therefore, whatever happens, we shouldn't be surprised at the things that happen, but endure, but endure in a way that is edifying, endure in a way that builds up the body of Messiah. And just, uh, you know, to finish up, that is why in the book of Hebrews, oh, why do things always seem to come back to the book of Hebrews? That he says in Hebrews, remember, these people are being persecuted. That's where it says, Therefore, because of, because of our identity in Messiah, therefore encourage one another and stimulate one another in good deeds. Encourage one another. That's what he says to them. You, you can endure because you encourage one another. The, the bad things that happen end up building into us. We don't grow despite them. We grow actually because of them. And so let us embrace our weaknesses and live in the sukkah of God, knowing that in traveling in this wilderness, he's always with us, and we will indeed get to the final destination. But while we're in this wilderness, in this life, let us not be uh let us live under the kingship of, I'll say positive, let us live under the kingship of God. Let us keep our eye looking forward on the prize. Let us deal with the difficulties in such a way that that we recognize that God is in it, and I'm just going to keep moving forward. I'm just going to do the right thing and keep moving forward, and uh, you know, and build up and build up one another. I and so may uh, we live in the sukkah of God in this wilderness. May we live. May we all be in the right place in Messiah Yeshua. Let's pray. Uh, Lord uh, God, uh, I just pray that we would indeed be in the right place. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of Moses, who is called the most humble man uh, on the face of the earth, or a man of meekness, depending on how we translate the word. Lord, that when his brother and his sister challenged him, challenged his decisions, Moses did not lash out at them, but you judged them, Lord. And so I pray, God, that uh, uh, we would demonstrate this kind of character that Moses had, God, and that Yeshua had. And may we indeed live in that way. And may it all lead to the redemption of this world. And we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.